Welcome to History of the Batman with London, where we relive the defining moments of one of the most iconic figures in comic book art and literature, the Batman. This past Halloween weekend, myself and the entire Meltdown Comics podcast network attended Stan Lee's Los Angeles Comic Con, and I, your host London, had the honor of hosting the panel, I Am Batman, a spotlight on Kevin Conroy, a room filled with hundreds of Batman fans like myself. The panel discussion began with Kevin Conroy saying why he believes that the Batman has been relevant and so iconic over the last 77 years, relating the ancient heroes of Greek mythology to how us as the audience see the animated heroes of the DC Universe, such as the Batman, today. This live episode presents the rest of the riveting panel discussion. While I apologize in advance for a lack of sound in certain parts of the audience Q&A portion, for those who weren't able to attend this panel, I wanted to share this incredible experience with you so you can hear for yourself how Kevin Conroy has crafted the voice of Batman for almost 25 years. I hope you enjoy this panel and be sure to watch the panel as well on History of the Batman's YouTube channel. Remember, it's all about peace, love, and Batman. I think that resonates with people so much. It's such a noble character. He's, he's got such a noble personality that he's something that people really aspire to. And I've talked about this at different cons, that the... Animated characters for our culture are what Orestes and Achilles and Agamemnon were for the ancient Greek and Roman cultures. They were, they were the way they taught morality. They were, they were just stories that they told to their children to teach morals. And in our culture, we have Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. It's the same thing. It's just our version of mythology. And there's a wonderful... Um, um, philosopher uh, Joseph Campbell who wrote um, The Power of Myth because he studied the Greeks, the Romans, the, the American Indians, the African tribes, all these cultures he discovered had a similar theme throughout their, their um, mythology and he called it the, uh, the journey of the hero and the hero goes through fire, is tested by fate like a phoenix is transformed and then he resurrects and saves humanity. Uh, This story is told over and over again and um, he called it the hero with a thousand faces because he's been told through so many different cultures throughout history and it's like this collective unconscious that we all have. Um, This need for redemption, this need for a hero like that and for us it's Batman. I mean it's such a clear parallel to those earlier um, stories. And I think that's why it resonates with people so much. He's such a noble character. I, have, I had a young woman come up to me in Chicago at a Comic-Con, and she said, I've always wanted to meet you. You're the reason that I got out of the projects. She said, I grew up on the south side in the projects. Everyone I grew up with is either in jail or dead. She said, and I am a professional woman, and I have a life, and it's because of Batman. I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, you got you out of there. You got you out of there, and God bless you for doing that. I said, I'm so proud of you and and happy for you that you've made something with your life. 
She said, no, but every day after school, when my friends were getting into trouble, I had you, and you were teaching me these lessons about morality. So it's amazing to be a part of this character who's so noble that he's helped some kids out of some really terrible situations. And I have people come up all the time. You know, my parents broke up when I was young, and, and uh, it was you that was babysitting me when I was little. And it's just, he's just this very ennobling character that has been a part of so many people's lives. And when you're the voice of a cartoon, you're the most intimate part of people's imaginations. You know, you really, you go to a place in their imaginations that live action characters can't go. And you become a part of their concept of what Batman is. And just today, so many people came up and said, when I read the cartoons, I hear your voice. You're the voice I associate <laughs> with it. And it's just, it's just that I was the voice of the cartoon, you know? So it's, um, it's, it's such a, um, a blessed thing for an actor to be a part of a character like this who has such a, a profound impact on so many people's lives. And he's so complicated. You know, he's such a, uh, an anti-hero in a way. He's such a dark hero. Uh, he's screwed up, you know, he's, and he's the first to admit it. It's the reason he can't fall in love. He can't make personal commitment. He wants to, like in Mask of the Phantasm, when he begs his parents at their grave to release him from the covenant that he's made to them because he's fallen in love with this wonderful woman. Or in uh, um, the... the um, um, the Revenge, what's the movie I just did? The Joker? Um, the Killing Joke. Killing Joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kevin. Killing Joke. This is a senior moment. Um, he's, he falls in love with Barbara Jordan, and he, he actually makes the physical commitment, but he can't go the next step. You know, he's a dog when it comes to that. And he hates himself for that. He wants to be able to, but it's, it's, he's human. And it's his failing that he can't make those personal connections. But he uses that weakness to devote himself to society at large. And I think people just love that about him, that he's so flawed and he still does so much good. How's that? <laughs> that is a perfect intro. <laughs> <laughs> So before we begin talking about the animated series, what did you do before you became the voice of Batman? What was your background beforehand? Well, that's what's interesting. I kind of stumbled into this. Batman is the first animated character I ever auditioned for. Talk about hitting a home run. I mean, my <laughs> God. Your first time up at bat, you know, and you're working for 25 years. Um, I went through Juilliard. I was a classically trained actor. I worked off-Broadway for Joseph Papp at the Public Theater, done a lot of Shakespeare. Um, theater was my background, and it was my passion. And I did a lot of the Greek uh, classics. And um, it was a training for, I was training for a, a world that was just eclipsing. I was training for a, a profession that you couldn't make a living in anymore. This was in the 70s, and I didn't realize that. I got out and I started working, and I was working all the time. But you know, when you're making $200 a week um, doing off-Broadway, you can't pay the rent, you can't buy food, you can't live. Um, so a lot of uh, Broadway and off-Broadway actors 
do uh, commercials in New York, and that's how they supplement. And they do voiceovers. So I did commercial voiceovers. And um, I went to LA to shoot a series. And I was out there, and I had a commercial voiceover agent. And he said, you know, they're, they're seeing people for a new animated series at, uh, at Warner Brothers, uh, Batman. And, and why don't you go in on it? And I said, Batman? I said, that character's been around forever. Hasn't that cartoon already been on the air? He said, no, it's never been a cartoon. It was just the Adam West series. And uh, so I didn't even know that it had never been a cartoon. So I really went in as a complete blank slate, just a stage actor. That was my only background. I didn't even have a lot of background in comics. People always ask me what kind of comics you read when you were little. I had a very traditional, strict Catholic upbringing. I went to Catholic schools. We didn't have comic books. I mean, we just didn't. We were given, you know, Dickens. We were, you know, I was given more classic things to read. And um, my father was an Irish immigrant, totally self-educated, never went to school, and he was a, a, a voracious reader. And so he got us all reading at a very early age, and I still read um, enormously. Uh, he had lots of other problems, but he was a great reader. So um, I, I read. That's the, good, that's the one good thing I inherited from him. And um, so I went in with a completely blank slate, and I met Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, Andrea Romano, and Alan Burnett. I mean, talk about the gold standard. <laughs> and I didn't even know who any of these people were. But this is seven, this is 87, no, wait a minute, 92, this is 92. So I don't even know if they knew who they were then. You know, this is really early. And um, they, said, they said, do you know anything about Batman? And I said, well, I know the Adam West series. And they went, no, 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 that's... <laughs> That's not what we're doing. We all love, you know, we all love Adam West, but that's not what we're doing. We're going for, this is film noir. This is back to the Dark Knight legend. This is, and I said, well, I don't, I don't know what that is. So they told me he lost his children. He's lost his parents as a child. Uh, he's been avenging their, their deaths. He's living in the cave. He's uh, unable to reconcile these two identities. I said, wow, you're, you're telling a, a classic story. So this is, this is like Hamlet. And they said, well, no one's made that comparison. <laughs> I said, well, let me just use my imagination and I'll see what I can come up with. And I just, I put myself into the darkest, most painful, the huskiest kind of place I could go. And I came up with this sound and they went, you're hired. <laughs> and they had seen almost, I think, 700 people up to that point. But it, I think, I honestly believe it's, you know, acting is so much about choices. It's about choices you make. There are usually a dozen actors who can do any role as well as you've done it, or better, but they just didn't make the right choice in the audition. They never know what they're looking for until they see it, and they'll never tell you. You go into an audition, you say, what do you want? And they go, yeah, show us what you got. They'll never tell you because they really don't know. So it's really <laughs> making the right choice. And I just happened to make the right choice that was a home run. Um, because people come up to me at cons all the time and go, listen to me do you. And they do a very convincing Batman. <laughs> and I say, well, now I'm going to have to kill you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's that I came up with the idea. That's what they pay for. That's what they pay actors for is their imagination, is to come up with the idea. Once you've come up with the idea, there are a lot of people who, who can imitate Mark Hamill really well, but Mark came up with the idea. 
And when he does it, he embodies it. You know, he really invests himself in it. It's amazing. You're in a booth with Mark. He becomes so physicalized. You know, he's just, he like takes over the microphone. You're, you're opposite him and you're going like this. You know, you feel like he's going to devour the microphone. <laughs> he becomes so physicalized. But that's why, and the both of us come from the theater. So we both, we love to interact with each other. Um, there's something about theater actors. They're kind of like children. And it's like children in a playground who really play well together. Um, and it's just fun. And Andrea is great at casting uh, wonderful, uh, generous actors. You never meet a selfish actor uh, in an Andrea Romano cast show. It's amazing. She has great taste in people. Because generosity, like in life, generosity is so important. And when you're in a room with other actors, you want someone who's giving to you and who will give back to you when you give to them, who can receive, you know? Being able to receive is just as important as being able to give. And there are a lot of selfish people in the world, you know, a lot of takers. And there are a lot of takers who are actors. And you give and give to them, and they don't give you anything back. That never happens uh, in an Andre Romano show, which is why all the Batman episodes are so awesome. Because it's not just, you know, me or Mark or Roddy McDowell or, you know, the different actors who were in it. It's, it's all the cast. It's everyone, all the cast, the smaller characters. Everyone who comes in pitches in. And the booking sessions were so much fun. And that has carried on throughout now into the games. So um, it's always been a very unique world to be a part of. Uh, not only because the characters are so rich, but because the actors that they, they choose to bring in are so generous. I agree with uh, Andrea Romano. She's incredible, and I've heard yeah. from many actors that she's wonderful to work with. And while you were developing Batman, and I've heard that you are the person to introduce a different voice for Bruce Wayne and a different voice for Batman, to have that different... Well, it just thing. made sense to me that... Again, that came out of having a blank slate. Right. I said, wait a minute. This is the richest guy in town with the biggest house on the hill. Everyone knows his family tragedy. He's incredibly handsome. Every available woman wants him. And he puts on a mask and no one knows it's him? <laughs> I said, seriously? Come on. Let me kind of fool around with a little bit. And they said, well, what would you do? I said, well, I do, since I'm doing this voice for Batman, what if I just use more of my own voice for Bruce? And then, actually, if we're going to make him a real playboy, let's give him a little irony. Let's give him a, I, I used more of my upper register early on. And there was a lot of color to it. There was a lot of, um, a lot of irony to him originally, which I loved playing. It was almost like early um, Cary Grant in those comedies he used to do. It was a lot of, you know, um, you know, oh, Andrea, you know, and I, I sort of, a lot, a lot of um, double entendres and innuendo, which they loved because then when he became Batman, it was so convincing that no one knew who this was. But when the show came back, see, we were recording them for six months. We started doing them in 92. They didn't go on the air till 93. We were recording them for six months before they even started coming back from the artists. You, you do, for those of you who don't know, you do the recordings first, like a radio play. So you have a lot of input into the scripts and into the timing of the scripts. 
And then they take those recordings and they send them off to the artists and they paint to the recordings. And then it comes back from the artists when they sync up the vocal track with the visual, the art, and there's a process called ADR. And there are always like extra mouth flaps that need to be filled or they may have too many mouth flaps that you need to put new dialogue for and you sort of clean up the soundtrack. But because you're the first stage, you have a lot of input. But because it was the first stage in a show that had never been done before in 92, we didn't really know visually what it was going to be like. We had sort of, they had shown us sketches of what our characters would like, but we didn't really know the whole world. We didn't know it was going to be painted on black. So when the first footage came back, it was so beautiful and noir and this dark, gritty industrial world that they realized that the light, Cary Grant kind of Bruce Wayne was too light. It was too jarring. Um, so they had me actually go back and re-record the first six episodes, just the Bruce Wayne lines. To, they said they, they did like the difference, but just tone it down. You know, bring it back closer to the Batman sound to make him more sober. Um, <laughs> and um, so, th so that's the history of the, the two voice sound. So since you record first and then they do the art after, yeah. in, in, in a way, and you knew the, the theme where it was very noir, that dark deco, that look, did that influence the way you voiced the character since you kind of had an idea of what they were oh, going yeah. for? Yeah, that's what I mean by they, when they say they, they show you a sketch of the character. Like they showed Mark a sketch of the Joker. They showed me a sketch of what Batman was going to look like. Um, Man Bat, that, I don't know if you remember that character. Um, they showed, um, was that Ron Perlman? I don't remember who that, I think, I don't remember For who that Clayface? was. Clayface? He was Clayface, but I think he may have been, who was, oh no, no, you know who Mar Man Bat was? Mark Singer. Remember Mark Singer? He was an actor from the 80s, I think. Yeah, he was Man Bat. Um, <laughs> it's all coming back to me now. But um, they'll show you a sketch, and because that inspires the sound you're gonna, you're gonna give for the character. But um, it's, it's such an interesting, I, I'm in so much awe of the actors who do this because I'm basically Batman. That, that's the character I do. And it's a voice that I've become so identified with that they don't like to use me for a lot of other voices. Um, occasionally they'll use me for an extra, you know, hey buddy, you know, like a cop or something <laughs> like that. But they don't like to use me for other characters. And usually when they book actors, they can use you for three, four different characters. And they save a lot of money by doing that if you're covering a lot of characters. So you get people like, you know, Tara Strong or, you know, really um, Phil Lamar who can do such interesting and varied voices um, in the same episode. They'll do different, different voices that are just wonderful. Um, I haven't been allowed to do a lot of that because my voice is so identified with Batman um, that they're afraid, you know, the audience would hear it. But um, but I'm in awe of a lot of the the actors who work in in voice work. Um, a lot of people think that voice acting is different than acting, and it's really not. It's acting. They always say, "How do you get into voice acting?" I said, "Well." You study acting, you know, you go to acting school, you, you go into regional theater, you work on the stage, you do whatever you would do to get into acting because in voice acting, you're embodying, you're not making funny noises. A lot of people think it's making funny character voices. It's not. 
It's embodying a character. It's bringing a character to life, but just with your voice. So you don't have the luxury of facial expression that people have on camera. Um, you don't have your body. You only have your voice. But if you do it too broadly, it becomes cartoony, and no one believes it. Especially with the way cartoons have gone, they become much more real. Um, so it's, it's a funny line you walk. You, you have to color it, but you can't color it with primary colors. You know what I mean? It's got to be subtle. And um, the people who specialize in this are just really to be respected. They're really wonderful. Um, we know that the the cartoon, even though it's a kid's cartoon, it has a lot of darker themes. Even the color palette is dark. When yeah. you were recording the episodes and you knew this was a kid's cartoon, did you feel that it was for kids? Because now, uh, for people who watched it originally and even today, when they compare the animated series to even the cartoons now, they feel it was way ahead of its time in yeah. terms of themes and presenting these classic characters. Did you feel that it was for the age range, for the demographic that well, it was supposed to be? Interestingly, <laughs> when it first aired, it was on Fox, and it was a primetime show. So we were not really aiming it towards a young audience. We were aiming it towards an evening audience. Um, and Bruce and Paul, uh, Bruce, Tim, and Paul Dini, are passionate about Batman and, um, and, and about their art. And they did not want to talk down to the audience. And none of us did. They, they hired mostly actors from, um, like, like me, who hadn't done a lot of uh, animation. They hired mostly actors from, from film or TV or stage. So a lot of people would come in and we'd kind of have to you know, break them in about, you know, you can't rustle your pages, you know, you, you, you can't step on each other's lines. There's certain technical things you have to know about recording this stuff because a lot of the people hadn't been in booths before uh, because they were going for a more adult sound. They didn't want the cartoony sound at all. They wanted drama. And um, so the only, the only, I would say, um, gesture they made to it being PG, was that they were careful that no one ever died, children were never endangered, and uh, there was no foul language. Um, there's a certain thing with standards and practices that children's programming, uh, they're, very, they're protective. As, as crazy as you think Hollywood is, there are standards. And um, they won't allow um, endangering the life of a child in a show that's geared toward children, or, um, or, or death. That's why in Batman there was always what was called the recovery moan. Someone would fall off a 30-story building and then go, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> think, How could they be recovery moan? The guy just fell off the Empire State Building. <laughs> Say, no, well, they can't die. They can't die. But that became a wonderful thing about Batman. No one died. He never killed anybody. He doesn't kill. He doesn't shoot. He locks him up in Arkham. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there was a there was a that was the one gesture they made to it being a younger audience because they wanted a broader audience. But then with the Killing Joke, they realized, look, this is a very adult story. If you're going to tell this story, 
you just got to know that you're not going to tell it to children. This is not a story for children. Graphic novels are not only for children, you know, now especially. So The Killing Joke was, was an adult graphic novel, and they made it R-rated, which is the first time there was a Batman R-rated show. The themes were, of course, more mature, adult-oriented, but also the relationships that Batman has with the cast in the show were three-dimensional. It yeah. made the characters just come to life and really resurrected some obscure characters. Uh, it made Mr. Freeze a more sympathetic yeah. villain. And I kind of wanted to ask you about your... Uh, working with characters like uh, the voice for of Commissioner Gordon and of uh, Alfred Pennyworth, because on the show it seemed like they both acted as a kind of father figure to Batman. And how? What was your experience like working with them? Well, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Uh, was the original Alfred, and what a wonderful, wonderful gentleman. I mean, he was really old school actor. Uh, he'd always come in very well dressed. You know, and the rest of us are coming in, you know, grungy. Hey, how you doing? You know? <laughs> and he came in, you know, looking like he just come from a board meeting. Um, just such a wonderful, and he was very paternal towards all of us. Um, he'd been in the business forever. You know, I saw him on the FBI when I was a child, you know. Um, and, uh, but that again is, that is again, it's Andrea, testament to her, uh, bringing in such wonderful actors. Michael Ancier was uh, Mr. Freeze. Um, what a, a passionate performance he gives, um, trying to bring his wife back to life. Um, we saw some really amazing performances in those in those studios. It was, it was. They would really want you to deep, uh, dig deep, especially with Batman. Anything to do with his father, um, there was always a, a real. They would let me go, go, go as far as I could and as passionately as I could and as realistically as I could. Um, and, you know, actors draw on their life experiences, and that's something you learn in the theater. I, I had a very complicated relationship with my father. Um, I had to reconcile with him as an adult. I was on my own from the time I was about 17. And um, he, was a, he was a very complicated, angry man. And... I could draw on that, that yearning um, to want a paternal relationship that I never had with Bruce's loss for what must have been a beautiful paternal relationship. Um, so you can draw on your own emotions for, for, what, for, for my lack of that relationship, for what he lost in that relationship. And I really drew on that uh, at that scene. I love referencing it again when he's, when he's pleading with his parents in Mask of the Phantasm. Um, it's such a primal scene where he's asking them to release him from this, from this vow he's made. Um, I felt myself at that moment sort of pleading with my father to, to be a father, to, to you know, you, you just draw on those things as an actor. And Andrea would really let you go and really get deep. And there were some 
there were some wonderful performances in those recordings. Definitely, and the dynamic you have with Mark Hamill as Joker yeah. <laughs> on the show is, I think, for many people, one of the best interpretations of their relationship, even yeah. in within comics. So, well, I've often said I think that Mark defines Batman, and Batman defines Mark. Yes. We're sort of the yin and the yang. I don't exactly. think either would be fully themselves without the other. Uh, that's just the way they were created by the writers, I think. Um, so we've always had this really wonderful dynamic relationship between the two of us, because I know he feels the same way. And that's what's so wonderful about The Killing Joke. At the end, that confrontation is so great. <laughs> and you don't know what happens. That's what's really cool. <laughs> well, since you brought that up, do you have a theory? Well, yeah, but I'm not going to share. You're not going to share? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, because Alan Moore, the, the writer of, of the graphic novel, he said it's up to the reader's interpretation. It is. It's totally. So, and I love the fact that they left it like that. <laughs> but it is Batman laughing alone at the end. <laughs> but That's all we're getting. That's so. all you're going to get out of me. <laughs> no, I won't do it. <laughs> So, we any questions? You want to do? Oh, or you want you want more? A little bit more, okay. and then we will open up to okay. the floor because I do want people to ask questions. Great. I know they have tons of questions for you, <laughs> but I did want to touch upon Master of the Phantasm shortly uh, about um, Andrea Beaumont and Bruce's relationship with her. What are your thoughts on Batman being in a romantic relationship? Do you think it's even possible? Do you think, or who is a love interest that you would like Batman to be with? Well, that was touched on in Mask of the Phantasm, and then not again, really, until The Killing Joke, which is amazing. It was like 20, <laughs> 23 years. Um, because he's such a... I, I don't think he can. The character can't, because he would be resolved if he was in a successful relationship. And the whole tension of Batman is his lack of resolution is what he cannot resolve. And that's why he's trying to heal the world. If he was healed himself, he wouldn't need to do it anymore, you know what I mean? I, I, I suspect that that's, that's the driving force behind him. Um, and that's what he says, essentially, to Andrea uh, Beaumont in Mask of the Phantasm is, you know, my vow, you know, I, I have this vow. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I think that's what makes him such a tragic hero. He can't be uh, healed. I agree. I think in comics and other media, we see that even when Batman does try to form that relationship with a character, something happens, or he either chooses justice instead of following yeah. his heart in a way. And I think that is a true defining characteristic of Batman. Uh, also, when just moving forward, I guess, in your line of Batman in Batman Beyond, you are voiced as an older Bruce Wayne, and you have that kind of father-son relationship with Terry McGinnis. What was that like going from the animated series being Batman <laughs> and then going to Batman Beyond and almost... Like, wait a minute, why aren't I the star of this show? <laughs> How was that transition? I was so used to being that? the star. <laughs> 
No, it was fun. It was great because uh, Will Friedle's a wonderful actor, and he was a great, he was really young when we started doing that, and um, uh, we developed a great relationship. It was fun. I sort of had the Ephraim Zimbalis role in that, you know, um, and um, it was it was interesting playing him at eighty years old, but still with the passion. He still has the passion in him. He's still, like now, I still look at the world with 25-year-old eyes. I'm always amazed when I see this guy in the mirror. I'm like, who is that? You know? <laughs> um, you don't, inside, you don't feel any different, you know? Um, and I feel that for old Bruce Wayne. He's still got the kick of, you know, a 25-year-old, but he knows he just can't do it anymore. Um, and that's got to kill him. <laughs> So you go from the animated series to Batman Beyond, and then you go into an even larger ensemble cast in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, which is one of my favorite shows. So what was it like working with that voice cast and being part of that team? Well, the interesting thing was when you're used to being the focus of the show, you have, you know, 30, 40, 50 pages to tell your story. But when you're one of seven stars. You may have, especially Batman, who's a man of few words, you may have four or five lines in an episode. And you've got to make your presence known and make your statement, but not oversell it. You can't overact or kill it. So you've just got to give it the weight uh, of, uh, of the character and, and establish that character in very few words. And that got to be a real challenge for me, to to project his identity in so few lines, because he's, he was the outsider in the Justice League. He's sort of the, the moody, broody conscience of the group, you know? So he never had a lot to say, but everything always had to have enormous weight to it. And the cast was great. It was wonderful actors. Um, Susan Eisenberg is here, and Phil Lamar, yes. they're here. Um, it, was a, it was a great cast of actors to work with. So we all got along really well. It's just that Batman is a man of few words, and uh, I didn't have a lot to, to say in a lot of those episodes. Um, and I had to establish the character very quickly. So that was the challenge there. And then after that, you want to go on to the games? Oh, we will. Okay. We will. <laughs> I, I just wanted to bring up, speaking of Susan Eisenberg, who was Wonder Woman, and I spoke with her recently on my podcast, and we talked about Wonder Bat. We talked about the flirtation between Wonder Woman and Batman and Justice Unlimited. So what are your thoughts on them together? Because a lot of fans like the idea of Wonder Woman and Batman together. Batman cannot have a successful <laughs> relationship. <laughs> It's not, you keep trying to push me there. It's People not going it to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> He's got issues. <laughs> he says that in one of the shows. He says, I'm a guy with issues. He's just, yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah, well. She, well, when I asked her, she was like, oh, I love the idea of them, but she agrees that it, it probably can't happen. No, so. no, no, no. That is unfortunate. No. <laughs> so, yes, we can go on to the game. So, the Arkham series, which yeah. is amazing. Amazing. I am a fan. And the story, first of all, the storyline is, it's for a video game, is so amazing. What a great idea that yes. they had that all of these incredible 
characters, all of these villains. And Batman is as much about the villains as it is about Batman. I mean, the most incredible villains, they're all locked up in this insane asylum. How incredible is that, you know? Um, when I first saw the first one, um, Arkham City, I thought, well, this is, this is, huh? Oh, that was the second one, Arkham City. Arkham Asylum was the person. Um, I thought, this is brilliant that uh, he gets trapped in the asylum and, you know, with, with all these people. Um, the problem with recording games is when you record episodes, you're all together. Like I was saying, it's like recording a radio play. You have all that interaction from the other actors. They're feeding you energy. Two hours goes by like that. And you record a whole episode in, in two hours. That's it. A game like Arkham Knight, the last game, was 37,000 lines of dialogue. That's how much had to be recorded. Because, you know, depending on how the game's played, all those variables have to be recorded. So I was in the booth, and because of the way they're structured, each um, actor has to be, be recorded alone. So you're not being fed. I wasn't being fed by Mark. I wasn't being fed by anybody. I was alone in a booth, four hours at a block, and then you're given an hour off for lunch, and then you're four hours for the afternoon session. And that would happen five days in a row for a week. And then you're given a couple of weeks off, and then they'd come in with more. So every three or four weeks, I'd go in for a week of just eight-hour days of just line after line after line after line after line after And it's always in the Batman voice. And, you know, okay, uh, you know, uh, get out of here. Oh, great. Could you do a little irony? Get out of here. Okay, that's great. <laughs> keep the irony, keep the anger, a little smile. Get out of here. I mean, you know, you're doing it over and over and over, three takes of each one. And then by the end of the week, you're like, yeah. You're just, words aren't coming out anymore. You're like, you literally, you're not able to speak English. It's, it's, it's mind-bending. It's not why you become an actor. And it's, it's, it's really a job. But it's a really challenging job because you're keeping the character alive alone in a complete dark vacuum with no one feeding you energy and line after line after line out of the blue, out of nowhere. You're keeping the, 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 the situation alive in your head, the, uh, the emotional life, the character voice alive, and then you're doing different types of takes on each line. Um, it's, you're sweating by the end of the day and your voice is completely shot and um, so it's no fun recording the games. It's really hard work. But then when you see it at the end and when it's all put together, you you're, God, you're so proud to have been a part of that because it's such a beautiful piece of art. Um, but the, constructing it is, it couldn't be further from what I learned at Juilliard. It just is totally the other end of the spectrum. You have to be totally self-fed. And um, I really admire people who, who do games, who record games. I, really, I understand how hard it is and how good they have to be to pull it off. Do you play the games? <laughs> no? <laughs> I'll confess to something. <laughs> At one of these sessions, I said, oh, of course, I play the games, they're great. And someone said, what program do you use? <laughs> I said, the one that it came with. 
<laughs> they went, whoa, <laughs> busted. I'm just old. What can I tell you? <laughs> I don't play the games. Why yeah. did you ask? <laughs> it's fine. We appreciate you voicing Batman for the Thank games. You. I don't think it would be the same, the, the Thank franchise, you. Thank you. without it. So. <laughs> you can't you can't lie at any of these things anymore. I've learned that you have to be totally honest because everyone knows everything from the internet. And one of these things, someone yelled out, "How old are you?" And I thought, well, that's pretty rude. They don't deserve an honest answer. So I said, "Oh, well, I'm 41." And then the guy said, "Whoa, dude, rough life." <laughs> I said, rough life. <laughs> it's because he knew I was lying. Everyone knows how old you are. <laughs> I'm 42. <laughs> <laughs> so you came back for The Killing Joke, and I've heard from Mark Hamill, and he said that if he wanted to come back as Joker, that would be the movie, the book oh, that he yeah. would what want What a performance to. for him. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. Did you, well, first of all, did you have to read the graphic novel, or did they just kind of give you, this is what the script is, this is what we're going with? No, I read it, you but did? I hadn't read it before. So what did um, you think? Oh, God, <laughs> I thought, are they serious? I mean, then when I heard it was going to be R-rated, it made sense, because it's really, really dark, really dark. Um, but I thought, wow, I, see, I know why Mark wants to do this. It's, it's a tour de force for him, you know? Yes. But also for Batman. I mean, Batman gets challenged in such a way. Um, so I love doing it. So knowing, or after reading and knowing it is a very dark tale, it's one of the most tragic tales, I think, in the Batman mythos, especially for Barbara Gordon yeah. and just the whole dynamic did you have to, how did you, I guess, prepare to present this graphic novel? Because for many, it is one of the most iconic books. And many people like myself were waiting for this to yeah. become something. And I was surprised that it was actually going to be an animated film. I actually didn't think they were going to do it because it's so dark. Yeah. It's so gritty. And the themes, are it's, it's outrageous. So Well, the way you prepare for any of these incarnations of an animated character really is the same. Because your, your sense of hearing is so um, acute. You can hear a lie faster than you can see a lie, I think. People can mask their emotions pretty well, but you can usually hear when someone's lying. And if I wasn't to really be true to the voice, if I was to phone it in or something, the audience would hear it in a second. You know, so for me, it's always been about maintaining the integrity of the character from the very beginning, um, and that's something you learn in theater. You 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 create a character, but then you've got to do them eight times a week for a year. Um, there's a real talent to on the 365th day be just as interesting as you were on the first day. Um, so that to me has been the challenge of keeping him real, and it's been always just go back to that pain of childhood. Get that sound out of that, you know, that, that gritty, terrifying moment of his youth um, that still traps him emotionally. Um, so for me, it's always been 
the, the trick has been to maintain the integrity of the sound, not to change it over time. So your latest project, I believe, is Justice League Action, yeah. which is coming out. Is there anything you can tell us about the new show? Well, anything? yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> the wonderful thing about it is it's, it's everything you imagine from the Batman world in the Justice League world, but with a little twist, with a kind of a... Um, there's, there's a lot of humor in it. And that's not something to be afraid of. It's because a lot of people think, oh, no, that's not true. That's not true. But it's, it's, it's an ironic twist. It's really, I think adults will get a big kick out of these shows. Um, I can't tell you anything more, except that the cast is phenomenal. I mean, James Woods is in it. Um, uh, Cloris Leachman. I mean, they got great actors uh, to do this show. Um, and they're really interesting characters and really interesting episodes. And the interesting thing also is they're 15 minutes and they'll be shown two in a half hour block. But it's not, it's interesting, it's not like less of a show in 15 minutes because you jump right into the middle of the action. The first 10 or 15, 12 minutes of a show is usually the setup and the introduction of the characters and stuff. That's just not in these. You just, boom, you're right in the middle of it. And then, so after 15 minutes, you feel like you've seen a full show. There, so it's interesting that way. The tone of the show it seems a little different, a little bit lighter than the animated series. Well, that's why I say there is a sense of humor to it. Right. So, do you is it the same Batman we see on your in your other shows, or are you still bringing that same Batman? Oh, it's absolutely it, the same Batman. It's the same Batman. He's just got a little bit more of the irony that they asked me to edit out of the original one. There's a little bit more of irony in him. And it's just, it's more just the situations because the people he's surrounded by are so bizarre. But it's no, it's the same Batman. So clearly you are one of, or the favorite Batman because you have the same passion. One of them? One. I, you're my favorite. <laughs> but I can't speak for everyone. So I'm just even kidding. though I I'm think everyone kidding. in this room is probably Kevin Conroy is your I'm favorite just Batman. I'm just kidding. Maybe. <laughs> 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 Thank you. For me, hands down, of course. But what I love is that even when you started in 92 with the anime series, and even to now for Justice League Action, you still have that same passion for the character, and you still bring the same intensity, and you still bring to life Batman. And How I think could you that's not. We, I mean, he's such an amazing character. That's why he's lasted for 75 years. He's such a complicated guy. He's so much fun for an actor to play. There's just so much to bite into. So, since you are my favorite Batman, do you have a favorite live-action Batman out of the many that have? No? You know, I don't. <laughs> no, I honestly don't. I, I think it was really... When I first heard they were going to have different actors doing it, I thought, well, that's really weird. You know, why don't they just establish a franchise and a character you can relate to? And then when I realized each actor brings such a different color to the character, it's really fun. Um... I think Christian Bale's um, uh, Bruce Wayne was probably the best Bruce Wayne. I think the voice he used for Batman was really bizarre. Uh, <laughs> but, you know. Um, I think Ben Affleck, a lot of people gave him a lot of crap for getting cast in it. I know on Twitter people were going crazy about it. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, he's a wonderful actor, give him a chance. I think he surprised a lot of people. He's really wonderful. Um, he does really well in both 
Batman and, and Bruce Wayne. So, and Michael Keaton, the, the first one. I, there was a lot about him that I liked. So I think it's fun to see different actors, what they do with it. Like Mark Hamill, I thought, was hands down the most incredible uh, Joker. And I, and I still think that. I mean, hands down. But then when you saw what Heath Ledger did, I mean, you thought, wow, this is just a this is another kind of crazy. This is, you know, <laughs> he's not better than Mark, but he's just another kind of crazy, you know? So it's just so interesting to see what different actors bring to a character. Now, you opened up with the panel saying your iconic line, I am vengeance, I am the knight, I am Batman. And I think you say that now at every convention that you go to. I think well, that's almost like Well, people like to hear it. I, you know, it gets them I going. I love to hear it as well. It's <laughs> people like it. They like it. So do you have um, another line, another saying from all of the years you've done Batman that uh, is that... <laughs> Don't ask that, that one. No? I can never remember the lines. No? Or anything that you feel is somewhat equal? There, there, oh, there have been some incredible yes. lines, but I just can't remember them. Because, you know, with Bruce Tim writing, I mean, there have been some great lines, but um, I can't remember them. That's Sorry. okay, because Sorry. I think the I Am Vengeance is, is perfect on its own. I was just wondering Thank if there you. was anything that could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with it. And then I just wanted to know, from voicing Batman for over two decades... Um, has any, uh, from learning about the character and who he is and what he represents, what has he taught you for your own personal life? What can you relate to? How do you relate to him in your, as you? Um, that's a good question. And I think that the, the lesson is no matter how, no matter how dark your day is, no matter how much crap you're getting, you cannot, you have no right to give in to your darker impulses. You have to overcome them because someone else is having a much, much worse day than you. And you just got to remember how lucky you are. Like um, yesterday, just coming in here, uh, I was driving around in circles around this place. They kept telling me to go. I was looking for the parking ramp. They kept telling me to find the south ramp. And the guys working at the entrances kept saying, no, no, it's around there, it's around there. I drove around this building for 45 minutes trying to find the ramp. And then I said, look, I'll just pay. I'll pay for parking. Let me go in the parking thing. And they said, no, 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 no. You have to go to the south ramp. I said, take my $20. I got to get in there. Don't you understand? There's lines of people waiting. And I thought, Kevin, calm down. It's just a parking spot. You'll get in. This is going to end up on YouTube, you know. <laughs> Batman has a meltdown. <laughs> so it's just that to me is the, the lesson. It's just like, you know, no matter how bad your day is, no matter how horrible some, someone is being to you, don't call them an asshole, you know, <laughs> just don't respect them and know that they've got problems too. <laughs> okay, I think we'll use the rest of the time to open up to the audience. So, go first. Yes. Diet, or did you drink a lot of water? Did you 
try to preserve your voice? Or did you ever come home talking to your friends and family in the Batman? <laughs> so, how did you preserve yeah, your voice? Yeah, no, there are tricks the to preserving your voice. And uh, the biggest one is just not to use it. You, a lot of singers just won't talk when they're off stage. Um, and I, I drink a lot of tea and a lot of tea with honey. And you notice I'm drinking water. I drink a lot of water. I drink gallons of water a day. Um, you just got to keep fluids. And um, no, it's, it's actually a good question. It's something you have to watch out for. Uh, because when it gets strained, the only way you can repair it is to not use it. And if you're not using it, you're not getting paid. So you've got to be careful, you know, not to strain it. Yeah. Uh, do you find yourself able to give any advice to any students at your uh, at Juilliard and the places you study? <laughs> I, it's funny, I, uh, they asked me to come back at one point to talk to uh, a class of students and when I was in my 20s. And I said, I'm not much older than they are. Why would I, what would I have to tell them? They said, but you just went through what they're about to go through. So you have more to tell them than anybody. And I went in and started talking to them and you know, two hours went by like that and no one wanted to leave. It just turned out to be like an acting class. It was so much fun. I had so much fun because I started out by saying the biggest lesson I learned right after I got out of here is that when they tell you to dare to fail, take them seriously. Because once you get out of here, you're not allowed to fail anymore. This is where you fail. This is where you experiment. This is where you make a fool of yourself and learn because once you're in the real world, you can't, you know, you, you should be able to, you should be able to take big risks, but you take a risk and they fire you. So you've got to know what you're doing. Robin Williams and I were roommates at Juilliard, I, I, probably a lot of you know. We lived together for a couple of years in New York, we shared an apartment, which was ridiculous because the only person poorer than Robin at that time was me. <laughs> so he was like stealing cheese from me in the refrigerator. I'd be like, there's a mouse in this house. There's a mouse, and I know his name is Robin. Um, and he would go, no, cool, man, it's cool, man. I'm not taking your cheese. Yeah. But um, he looked like, to watch him perform, it looked like it was spontaneous brilliance. But what it was, really, was intricately honed, crafted, um, choreographed characters that he'd worked on for years. I used to hear him in his room doing these characters in the middle of the night. Oh yes, very, very, very good, very nice, very nice. He'd be doing like <laughs> Indian accents or uh, French accents. He'd be doing characters, old man, you know, and I'd hear, mommy, mommy. And he'd realize he was doing like a six-year-old kid. He'd be doing these voices and he's just practicing. And then in mime class, we, we, had, we took a, a French mass class together, he would create these incredible characters that I would then see 20 years later in his stand-up act. And I think, I remember when he came up with that character. But it looked like it just was something that he'd invented on the spot. He, it, it takes a lot of crafting to become an actor. And it's in acting school that you really have that chance to fail and make a fool of yourself. And in the real world, 
you really aren't given that opportunity because you'll be fired. So that was the big advice I gave them. Wow. I always think the one I just did was the best one. <laughs> so the killing joke right now, I would say, is, is the best one. But my favorite ones have been the ones where Batman's uh, sense of reality was altered somehow. And he went in. He's such a complicated character that every time he has to go inside his own mind or his own past, like in Perchance to Dream, or in Dreamscape, anyone where he's, I mean, in one of them I got to play Bruce Wayne Batman, young Bruce Wayne when he went into his childhood, and then old Thomas Wayne, his father. Um, so I was playing four different voices, uh, and they all had to be believably related, um, but distinct. Uh, that, you know, for actors, it's just fun to be challenged. So those, those to me are the most fun, the ones where Batman goes into those dream kind of worlds. And there have been a lot of those, so it's been fun. But Dreamscape and um, Perchance to Dream are two that I really loved. Yes. <laughs> Uh, George Newbern did the original uh, Superman, and then Tim Daly did it too. And um, I loved working with both of them. And uh, I don't know if you've seen Tim has um, the Daily Show that that he the podcast he does. And we did an episode where I was kind of haunting him. <laughs> it's really, huh? It was really fun. It was so much fun to do. He's he's a lot of fun. Um, I. I, you know, I feel sorry for Superman. He's such a boring guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's so square, you know? And Batman is so richly colored, you know, that I just, I feel sorry for him, you know? Christopher was there the same time I was there. He was a couple of years ahead of me. I went, when I went in, I was 17. So that's why I was there with a lot of people who were much older than me. A lot of people went in as postgraduates and stuff. I left high school early um, and finished up early and then moved into New York and have been supporting myself since then. My family kind of disintegrated when I was in high school. So I was 17. So Chris was, I don't know, maybe 22, 23. And he... Um, at one point wanted to, uh, he was going to rent an apartment in Soho, this really bizarre area downtown. This is the early 70s. And uh, I thought, my God, in the warehouse area? What do you want to live in there? So I went down and I looked at it, and he was interested in sharing it with me. But it was $400 a month, and I couldn't swing $200. <laughs> I had a room in a rooming house at that point for $100 a month. $100 a month in New York. Um, so I didn't get to live with Chris. But then Robin and I ended up getting an apartment the following year. But yeah, Chris was around Juilliard at that time. Um, 
and um, just it's just unbelievable to think that they're both gone already. I mean, they're just so they were such good guys, genuinely good people, really nice people. I mean, when Chris broke his back, a lot of people don't know um, he he had great insurance. Screen Actors Guild is wonderful insurance, but it has a million dollar cap on it. Well, with spinal cord injury and 24 hour nursing, you go through a million bucks pretty quickly. And Robin underwrote his, guaranteed his medical bills. That's just the kind of guy he was. Um, so they were both really extraordinary people. <laughs> well, it doesn't, it doesn't change the way you approach a role knowing it's going to be R-rated. I mean, you're, we always approach every role, any of the actors, um, the same way, with the same passion. Uh, the, the rating is determined by the script and the, the way they're, you know, the, the, way they're, the way they, what the situations they place the characters in. Um, so I approached it the same way. Unfortunately, this was unique because Mark was doing Star Wars, and so he was in England, and uh, we didn't work together on any of the killing joke. But because we'd worked together so much over the years, I knew what he was going to do, and he knew what I was going to do. <laughs> but it was, it was an unusual situation where we actually didn't get to work together. But um, because I'm bad man, I was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In Justice League, when Lord Batman's president and you were arguing with yourself, were, were you able to keep the two Batman separate? Was there the same voice? Or was that confusing? No, I, you know, I'm a really wonderful actor to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I had some of my favorite scenes in that episode. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, that's what I meant when I was talking about Perchance the Dream and Dreamscape. Episodes where you get to do sort of different, uh, different manifestations of your own reality, they're just so much fun for an actor to play with. Um, they're challenging. Like in, uh, in Perchance the Dream, I said to Andrea, can I do the voices in real time? And then we'll go back and we'll do each character separately. But let me, she said, you mean play the scenes with yourself? I said, yeah, it'll be fun. Let's just see what happens. So she let me do it. And then we did clean takes that they, you know, in case it didn't work out. But um, it's just, actors love to be challenged, you know? So that episode was, was more challenging for me. So it was fun. You know, the last play I did was, was Arthur Miller's last play in New York. I worked with Arthur Miller, called The Last Yankee, and I played the lead role, The Last Yankee. And um, I had such an amazing time working with him on that. He said something to me. At one point, he was giving out notes after rehearsal one night, just before we opened, and he said, and Kevin, um, I don't have anything to say to you. You seem to know the character better than I do. 
And I thought, oh my God, would you write that down? I just, <laughs> I want to be able to prove to people you said that to me. I mean, it was such an honor to work with the legend. <clears throat> um, no, I haven't in a while. And I, I got it. You're right. I should. I have no excuse. I've been lazy. Yeah. I did the Globe. I did King Lear. I did Edgar and King Lear. And I did Much Ado About Nothing with John Glover. I was Cla Claudio and he was Benedict. Um, yeah, I did a season at the Globe. But that was a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never actually seen Lego Batman because I'm not in it. Yeah, I mean, most people will use tea with honey and lemon. It's just a really soothing uh, way to lubricate your voice. Um, and I drink tea generally anyway. Um, uh, but yeah, honey and lemon are great. When I first worked with him? I was shocked, actually, because I had never met Mark, and I only knew him as Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and Luke Skywalker, he's kind of like Superman, you know? He's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just a nice young man. And the, the, that's the character. And so that's the image Mark projected. So I thought, well, that's an odd choice for, for Joker, you know? And then he came in and he revealed himself as a character actor. Mark is a character actor. And he's most at home doing characters. Um, I think actually Star Wars didn't serve him well when he started out. Because it, it pigeonholed him in something that, that wasn't necessarily what he's best at. He was great at that. But... It's like Kevin Klein. I knew Kevin Klein at Juilliard. Kevin Klein was always getting cast as young leading men. Kevin Klein's a character actor. He's better at that. Um, he's always much better, like in A Fish Called Wanda. Remember that performance? He's just, he's, he's, you know, there are certain actors that because they're handsome and because they look like leading men, they get those roles. That's just what they're put in. But their heart, their soul, it may be something else. And I think Mark is one of those people. He was just a really good-looking young actor, so they put him in that role. He did a great job at it, but he's so much more than that, you know? He's more Batman than Superman, you know? So that's why he was so great at Joker. Thomas Wayne, I think, would have become what Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. was. That sort of patrician, 
uh, older, caring, paternal character. He's a very idealized father. That's the way he's, he's written in the stories, and I think that's what he would have become if he had, if he had matured. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> My favorite one was it, this became traditional after a while because it was so funny. Um, the director is Andrea Romano, and <clears throat> they have you do, as I say, those recovery moans to make sure the character's alive after they're dead. So you're going like. You know, you get you get you get kicked, you get punched, you fall down, and you go he's like, ah, ah, Andrea. <laughs> I put that one day at the end of a recovery groan because I realized this sounds like sex. There's, there's no way around the fact that this doesn't sound like sex. So I put it in there. Well, she fell out of her chair. <laughs> Bruce Tim went crazy. So that became a tradition. So that every time then after that I had a fight, and I'd be like, ah, I'd hear from Andrea, and then you say, <laughs> I'd say, Andrea. So after a couple of years of this, she had a Christmas reel. <laughs> and the reel was just, Andrea, Andrea, Andrea. <laughs> it was hysterical. So things like that do happen. And it's great because it keeps it, you know, cracking up in a room keeps you, your juices going. It keeps you from falling into a rut. So, and I was the one constant between all the shows. So Andrea loved the fact that I would do that. And she said to me at one point, she said, I know what you're doing. You're doing this stuff on purpose because of all the new people who are in the room to get them to laugh. I said, exactly. I'm, I'm getting the, you know. She said, I love it. She said, that's why I never stop you. She said, we love when you do this stuff because, you know, it, it breaks the ice and it makes people know, oh, this, it's okay to have fun here. And then you get a better performance out of people. All the way in the back. Yes. Uh, so the episode um, where you had to uh, sing for a prison, how did you prepare for that? Andrea put that in because she knows I like to sing. <laughs> and I think Bruce Tim thought this was a crazy idea, actually. But then when they thought, am I blue? I mean, that's such a perfect song for, for uh, Batman. So, um, no, we just recorded it in the room. It was just done live. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think that. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, we have time for two more questions. Um, yes. Arlene Sorkin, yeah. Uh, is there anybody that you like that comes in to replace you and you love Batman like Will Arnett? Or... That's a horrible question. 
I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean. Uh, <laughs> I am Batman, damn it. Oh, God. What a good question. Nice. Yeah. What a wonderful man. What a wonderful man. He's such a gentleman, and he's such a gracious. And he came in, and I was like, ah, you know. He said, oh, come on. He said, have fun with it. He said, I had fun with it for years. Hope you have a good time. He's such a, he's so gracious and old school, like, like um, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Um, Really wonderful guy to work with, and uh, very generous actor again. Andrea doesn't cast people who aren't. It's wonderful. She's got a very good uh, shit detector in, <laughs> in terms of people, you know. Okay. Am I blue? <laughs> no, 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 no. So that's all the time we have. But thank you, thank you for everybody. coming. Thank you, Kevin Conroy, for coming. Thank you so much. <laughs>